Well, hello everyone. Welcome to the Representation Cinema. We talk about the representation of Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color in movies. This podcast is hosted by Our Voices Project. Our goal is to dismantle destructive stereotypes of minority groups perpetuated in the media by producing films centered on the multifaceted experiences of Black, Brown, and Indigenous people by providing educational resources across marginalized groups brought on by the stories we share. Our Voices Project is also a committed community partner, providing opportunities to infer, affirm racial and cultural identities, empowering students at agent, as agents of social change, and co contributing to an individual's learning through cultivation of critical thinking. I'm Deborah Alvarez, uh, the cinematographer and editor for Our Voices Project. And joining me is with us, we have Anna, Annalisa Rogers. Again, I'm Annalisa Rogers. I am a community advocate in every respect of the word. And tonight we have with us Taurus and we also have Ricardo. Mr. Ricardo Milhouse is a PhD, uh, is a postdoctoral fellow in the Frederick Douglass Institute at the University of Rochester. Ricardo's research interests rest at the intersection of race, place, and sensation. Ricardo theorizes about Black queer placemaking, design justice, and public culture. Currently, Ricardo teaches a course titled Black Sex and Sexuality at the University of Rochester. He has published in the journals of LGBTQ Studies, University of California, Los Angeles, and he also does social theory through University of Kentucky. And also with us, we have um, Mr. Taurus Savant. Taurus, I hope I said your last name correctly. You did. Um, <laughs> <Happy to hear>. <laughs> <laughs> um, he comes to us by way of New York City. Taurus Savant is a queer Black artist, musician, published author, and community advocate living in Rochester that thrives on freedom of expression and strives to be his best self through gaining knowledge and adventures through life. So I hope you, you join me in welcoming both of our guests today. Um, tonight we're going to be discussing the film Moonlight, and it, it's a very good movie. Um, Moonlight is a drama that was released back in 2016 and starred Travant Rhodes, Mahershala Ali, Ashton Sanders, and Naomi Harris. The story follows Chiron and looks at three defining chapters in his life as a young Black man growing up in Miami. His journey to manhood is guided by the kindness and support and love of the community that helps raise him. The film is directed by Barry Jenkins and received the Academy Award for Best Picture in 2017. So if you haven't seen the movie yet and you're thinking about watching it, you can watch it on Showtime now and then come back to listen and or watch our podcast. Um, from here on out, we'll be discussing the film in depth. So spoilers are ahead. So just know you have been warned. <laughs> so um, getting to the movie, I think I wanted to start just by asking our panelists, what was your key takeaway from, from this film? What, what stood out the most to you? And I think I'll direct this question to Taurus first. Um, well, what stood out uh, for the film for me is kind of watching certain types of parallels um, between Chiron's life um, as a child and, and experiences that I had as a child and stories that I've heard from other uh, queer Black youth and how they, how 
the society environment and people and peers around them seem to inquire and discover and know more about the concept of somebody's sexuality more before you know the the individual does so you know he's he's being called gay and all sorts of other types of slurs and being made fun of uh because of his mannerisms or whatnot and he doesn't even understand it himself because he hasn't really come to that realization yet um and everybody kind of wants him to be a certain way and they have their own uh perspective of who he is when he doesn't even know who he is yet so mm-hmm. that's that's how i identified with it especially yeah i mean those are that's a really good point i think you know when we are young we're in the process of developing who we are you know and it, it's interesting how when people come about come at you and it's like well you're this and you're that you know how much those influences could also either encourage or distract you from becoming the true authentic self that you can actually be. So the, those, those, that's a really excellent point. Um, how, what did you think, Ricardo? I agree with Taurus. So, um, you know, when I first saw this film, I saw, saw this film in Syracuse, New York, and at the time, and, um, I literally cried because like throughout the whole film, but I literally cried because I saw myself in Chiron. Like, for example, when um, at the beginning of the film, when he's, you know, on a, I guess a football field or field playing, you know, kick the ball or something like that. Um, um, you know, the, the kids were, were calling him Saw, right? And Kevin was asking him, um, you know, why you're not soft right like you need to prove that you're not soft you need to prove that and so for me that was a situation that i was like oh wait i had that same experience growing up in elementary school too because a lot of the boys that i grew up with were like athletic they were popular like i was quiet i I had certain mannerisms that didn't match their mannerisms like i probably had you know, a, a higher pitched voice at that time than other boys at the, um, that I was growing up with. And so growing up in Mobile, Alabama, there was really not a place for me to kind of understand what what my sexuality or been my, my identity, my gender identity was at that time, because I had to kind of cloak myself in these sports that I didn't necessarily want to play. Like, football or like basketball actually I, I enjoyed basketball but it wasn't necessarily nothing I wanted to do it was more so I was doing it to mask um myself and to not let them catch on to me um I guess showing that I I was a little bit different like I was doing whatever the other boys were doing so I wouldn't get teased and made fun of as frequently as I did and so mm-hmm. from that point like from the outset the film kind of you know, spoke to me and was like, oh, wait, this is a time when this film is like representing Black boys on screen in an important way where other Black boys and even men to this day can see themselves in Chiron's story. So that's what mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I mean, that that's really interesting. I think when I saw that part of it, you know, I have brothers, you know, they're, they're straight males, but um, one thing that I do note is that there's this, there's, there can be this toxicity to masculinity, 
you know, and there's this push for you to be hard and to be strong and to be tough, you know, and it's like, where does that begin and end in terms of who you become? You know, could either of you guys speak to, to what your thoughts were about that demonstration of toxic masculinity in the movie? Well, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, what it speaks to me is says that despite even what your perceived sexuality would be, there's still a certain specific way that uh, a black man is supposed to act. So, like even like even as uh, as it was regarded, he was they were calling him gay, and that they seemed almost to not really put too much emphasis on him being gay or possible or perceived to be gay and more so on, you know, you have to be tough. You have to, like the, the majority of it was being asked, oh, you're not soft or you just prove that you're not soft, fight back, fight back. Um, that kind of um, attitude, because it's not necessarily so much about um, what it is you're doing, it's more so about the perception that you're putting off. So if you display these uh, these these traits of you know being kind of tough, uh, you know rough and tumble, and somebody who plays sports, or somebody who you know gets gets all the girls, or even you know somebody who has all the all the, all the things that they think uh, a man should have and what they perceive it. I mean, at the end of it, to me, none of it really really matters because it's up to really kind of ourselves to just uh, define what we think uh, manhood is or isn't or if manhood is even a concept to keep but what mm -hmm. I can say is that it's it's it, it does help shape because I think that that kind of um that kind of concept of toxic masculinity when you instill that in a child when they don't know really any which way about what a uh, a man is supposed to be or a boy or even a girl if they just know what kids are supposed to be so they become mm -hmm. influenced by that and that's why you see that as Sharon gets older he becomes a little he becomes more tough more rugged more hard and it would make it makes you it leaves you to wonder uh what kind of man he would have grown up to be had he not been uh you know pushed so much and and, and traumatized and and oppressed and if he had instead been given the the love and nurture and, and interest and admiration that he deserved as a child so i guess we'll, we'll never know but that Absolutely. could be the case with any and every child that you see uh around this earth mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. you know um, go ahead oh sorry go ahead after you yeah thank you and um, so I want to just, uh, um, just also um, say that this concept of toxic masculinity, you know, it does more. I mean, masculinity, like gender performance itself, is something that is, I think, a thing that carries on throughout the film. However, you know, it's interesting to me to see how Chiron and the other um, um, young black men were socialized, right, in this in Liberty City. Because we see, I'm, I'm skipping ahead here, but we see how Terrell in class, right, in high school is like always making fun of Chiron, um, bumping Chiron when he's leaving the school, right? And so one of the examples that really show like how, how traumatic toxic, toxic masculinity is, not even to people on the receiving end of it, right, but also the people who 
are acting out task toxic masculinity because we see Kevin and Chiron having this intimate moment on the beach, right? And then the next day or the or the same week, we see Kevin beat up Chiron because Terrell is trying to play puppeteer and 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 force Terrell, I mean force Kevin to hit Chiron, right? And we see how there were no, not necessarily um, a lot of resources around in the school at the time to kind of forbid Terrell from coming around Chiron anymore, right? Instead, we see Terrell in class with Chiron allowing the, him the opportunity to hit him with the desk, right? And then we see him getting pulled out to the, um, in the police car in handcuffs. And so the point I'm trying to make is not only does toxic masculinity um, operate at the individual level, but also to like school wide in this school, we see how Chiron was affected by it, Terrell was affected by it, Kevin is affected by it, and all the people by standing is affected by it, right? And so it's not, and so that's the point um, um, that I, I thought um, about concerning toxic masculinity is that, it doesn't act. It doesn't only affect the person on the receiving end, but also the person acting out this toxic masculinity and carrying it out and, and reproducing these these behaviors that are, you know, harmful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And you know, kind of going back to um, Taurus's point about perception um, and where. Chiron went to in terms of you know what he did it for a profession you know and, and it's like when you really look at the perception it's like did he do it because he thought that this is what men were supposed to do and you know we'll talk a little bit about the father figure he had in Juan but you know did he identify with Juan because he thought that that was more masculine or that's what the world expected him to become um, so it's kind of interesting the choice that in the path that he chose to take was it more than just because of him beating up uh, Terrell you know what what led to that point um, but also too I, I I feel like the whole emotion and feeling stuff you know it, it seems like because of what we expect males to be he had to basically subjugate his own feelings about everything and it, it it seems like he just became numb. And we talk about further along the movie, he says, well, I've never really been any with anyone except you. And why? Was that because he was afraid of his feelings, feeling afraid of feeling what he might feel, um, any of the emotions associated with being a gay black male. So it's just been interesting. But also I wanted to ask about Terrell. I kind of wondered if one of the reasons why Terrell was such a big bully because he was struggling with his own sense of identity, um, you know, as a female. And again, this could be completely different than what males experience. But when I was growing up, one of the things that I did become was a bully. And one of the things, one of the reasons why is because I struggled with my own sexuality. And, you know, I had people, you know, talking about me, picking on me, making fun of me until I got to a breaking point where I started beating other people up. But it was because I couldn't handle who the person I was becoming and not having the necessary supports to kind of encourage me in a very appropriate way to be the person that I wanted to be or to be the authentic person. So I kind of identified with Terrell a little bit, I'm ashamed to say, but 
um, I kind of understood if that's if that's what was happening with him, why he was kind of doing some of the things he was doing. Um, again, not to justify, but you know, when you're young, it's really hard to come to um, an understanding of who you're supposed to be when you've got people saying that this is wrong, but you know, and, and you don't have the appropriate support. So that was kind of my thought about Terrell. Um, so what about the bullying in the school system? Anybody had any particular thoughts about um, more of that, um, how that impacts sexuality or just bullying in general? Well, the first thing uh, that I thought of as you were saying that is the fact that I, in my, in my school tenure, I've known plenty of Terrells, plenty, 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 plenty. Um, I won't go so far as to make the assumption that he might be hiding behind, you know, a budding sexuality. Sometimes people are a-holes because people are just a-holes and that's also just kind of learned behavior because that's what makes you look cool. He had to have picked that kind of behavior up from somewhere, but that's also not to say that some of those cases don't happen to be the case because I, I know a couple who have been like that as well. But I think in uh, in Terrell's case, I don't know if it was a sexuality thing. He was just a thing. jerk. <laughs> he, was just a, he was a jerk who was conditioned to be that way through all the learned behaviors he learned growing up. And now that's how he treats other people. And he has an opportunity to maybe influence uh, different kinds of behavior, but it worked on Kevin and it made him be essentially a bully in the same right. So it kind of like just pushed it along but what i will also say i guess at, from my own experience and people who, who who try to do that is that they 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 hate what they can't understand they don't Absolutely. they don't understand it they don't get it sometimes they wish that they could be that in a way that you know people have authentic uh methods of expression and some people find themselves early whether that's queerness or any other type of otherness that's not you know, the norm. And so when you are grown up and you and you have such a way where you weren't allowed to really express any of the kinds of interests and you only could just be this one kind of person because you have expectations put on you, you kind of take your frustration out on people who are well other because you don't take the time to understand. And I'm sure if they ever, if he ever really kind of sat down and just had a conversation with Chiron, maybe there would have been some sort of understanding or maybe even a friendship, but because he never even bothered to give it a chance, we saw what we saw. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of goes back to that whole thing about, you know, the perception piece you brought up earlier, you know, is just, you know, perception and assumption, you know, shouldn't assume either, but, you know, what would have happened? What would have changed the course of their relationship of, if he just had that conversation about anything really, but uh, yeah, excellent point. Um, Ricardo, do you have an opinion or thought about, about yeah, that piece? Um, I do. So coming back to the socialization piece, you know, similar to Taurus, um, I also knew, know several uh, Terrells, um, and you know I remember distinctly in high school. You know, um, in high school we had to dress out the PE um, and stuff. So, you know, um, I hated that. <laughs> I hated that because that was a time when um, all everyone needs to show their muscles and like show their six pack and like you know get all your business who you're you know dating and X Y and Z, and so because I was always the last one to dress out, like, um, 
I'll say Terrell, <laughs> stay behind. And, you know, he would like, you know, bump me to like um, show my muscle. He's like, oh, you know, I'm more masculine than you. He'll make his chest poke out. And it was just like, you know, a competition, it seemed in the in the locker room, right? And mm-hmm. so in retro, at the time I was, you know, of course it was a form of bullying, but in retrospect, I'm always, I'm always thinking, what if there could be some type of space that allows young black boys or young, young people in general to have these conversations with each other, right? To your point, Melissa. Like, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if Terrell had sat down with Chiron, right? Um, you know, mediated by the principal or a school counselor, someone, a therapist at best, you know, what could have gone differently, right? Because we see how quickly Chiron was escorted out in handcuffs and there could have been so many other steps before that happened, right? Like mediation, um, you know, uh, count, recommended counseling um, or therapy of some sort. Anything outside of taking this young man to jail, right? Mm-hmm. And then like reintroducing these two young men in the same space, right? That that doesn't necessarily seem like the right choice to make. Um, but again, on screen, these are actual, you know, experiences that people have. And so again, I'm going to come back to the socialization. Why is it that toxic masculinity can be reproduced in these same spaces without any interventions into why it is that we have to socialize young men, young black men to act a certain way and then to take certain things and then end up in in the back of a police car. There seems to Mm -hmm. me that there could be, you know, in terms of this bullying in the schools, right? There could be some type of space where folks can have these one-on-one conversations. Um, I don't know what that looks like in practice, (laughs) but you know, it just seems to me that that will be at least a, a step to try. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, th- there's two things that kind of come to mind when we were talking about Chiron and him going to jail for, you know, hitting Terrell with that, that chair. Um, childhood trauma, both on Chiron's part even on Kevin's part and possibly even on uh, Terrell's point and the whole social norms, you know, the social norms that says, okay, you're naturally violent because you're a black male. So therefore we're not even going to give you a chance and we're just going to arrest you because you attacked this kid, you assaulted him and we're just going to put you in jail, you know, and it, where were the adults? (laughs) You know, I have that question is where were the adults to actually kind of, you know, intercede on both of these children's behalf. I, I know that, you know, with Chiron, his mother wasn't the greatest person to have as a support because she was an addict. Um, but even the principal, where were some of those leaderships to kind of help mitigate some of these, these circumstances that landed Chiron in that whole prison, the school to prison pipeline? What are you guys' thoughts on that? Did that strike you as well? Um, I would say it struck me only because I, I would say the adults weren't present because they either they either they didn't care, they didn't have the range, or they didn't they were too afraid to get involved. Um, when I was uh, growing up in school, like we did have like a a school advisor, but nobody who I could talk to 
as far as like sexuality is, is concerned. I only had my friends and internet friends to really come to terms with that. So I had nobody to really kind of go, okay, is this really wrong? Is the, are these people justified in treating me and others the way that they treat uh, treat each other? Or is, is this some sort of learned behavior? If anything, the only thing I ever got was affirmation that said, it's not you, it's them, you know, they're, they're, they're bad, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, that can be the case. But where is the, the the fostering of understanding? That's the part I always hope for instead of me essentially kind of having to fend for myself or even be singled out even more because I was getting certain types of special treatment where I got to leave the classroom and I got to go sit in the office or I got to, you know, be further, further away from the other kids or got to do other kinds of things mostly because they wanted me, you know, in a way safe from harm, but didn't necessarily know how to really step in and mitigate that uh, with between myself and the other students or anybody else uh, who had any sort of kind of conflict. And because thankfully, you know, I didn't go to jail, but there was a situation where um, there was a boy who wouldn't who wouldn't leave me alone. And so I threatened to uh, I threatened to bust him upside the head with a lock. And I came in the school the next day, fully prepared to do it. But somebody somebody told and I got in trouble and they brought him in. And all of a sudden the boy's acting scared. He's like, well, I didn't I didn't know it was that serious. I didn't. And it's like when you have somebody who's antagonizing you day in and day out, you eventually get to a point where it's like, no, this is about enough. And I hate to you know to to run into that uh i want to i won't even call it a stereotype i just think that anybody regardless of who you are after being pushed for so much you're gonna you know react and and that in my opinion because even though i tried words and tried speaking to adults and that didn't work i felt like hitting him upside the head was going to be the only solution that was going to make it stop we didn't get to that point but that's that's where it was for me anyways mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was also wondering where, where the adults were. I mean, they were present, but not present. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know, the, the only option that the principal gave was to press charges, right? And like that within itself only further further pushes to rail down into that prison, right? Um, down that pipeline. And so again, like I, I just truly believe that, you know, there are other avenues and capacity, I mean, other avenues that, you know, these resources, I mean, these uh, school resource officers, principals, whatever have you, the leadership can use, you know, to intervene. Um, and so that moment was so, uh, I think, important because it just bust open the the lack of resources within school, not necessarily in, in, in Miami, right? It's like nationwide, right? So like, you know, and when I say other resources, what I mean is like, there are, there, are, there are different schools doing now peace circles. Like I learned like um, a lot of um, students in Chicago are taking up peace circles, like um, basically conflict resolution, like instead of like sending them to, you know, um, juvenile detention centers or like, um, you know, the, um, or even suspension, they send them to like, you know, an office uh, where they can actually talk out their differences and research resolution with a certified peacemaker um, facilitator. So I'm not trying to say that that will work in every single school, but there should be some other steps between, you know, sending a school, sending a student 
to be picked up by a police um, by a police officer, right? Because that within itself is traumatic for a young a young person. Um, because it just seems to me that there, that should be the that should not even be on the table because you're re-traumatizing students who are traumatized when when they come to school you're re-traumatizing them so why not um have certain avenues for different for different folks like we talk about inclusion right why mm -hmm. is it that we we're lacking in the fact that we don't have you know a diverse range um to use your word um towards a range of resources and tools and people that will accommodate these students who come to school every day with different different traumas. So that was really, um, that really like made me focus in on that. Like, oh, so the only option is to call nine one one and 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 haul Sarah, I mean haul Chiron off in the back of the police car. So he's now being re-traumatized. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean. When you think about that in terms of the childhood trauma and again, reinforcing, you know, what he's becoming, you know, it, it was kind of like a real reinforcement, you know, and again, not having the support that he needed to really become who he could have become, you know, there's, it just, it feels like there is missed opportunity on so many different levels, not on the educators, on the parent, um, so let's talk about the parents actually a little bit because um, I wanted to kind of talk about Teresa and drawing a blanket Chiron's mom's name. Um, what did you think about their influences on Chiron and his development and in this movie? Well, uh, I think her name was Paula, uh, Chiron's mother. Um, so, you know, we see her struggle with her addiction um, and we see how Sharon had to grow up like quickly, right? To take care of not only himself, but his mother. We see on different instances where, you know, Paula is like laying on the couch and, you know, without a blanket and Sharon like lays the blanket over her. Tend like being the mother, being, being a parent to, you know, his mom, right? And so that is another type of, um, I'm I'm still thinking about like his school trauma. So now he's at mm -hmm. home dealing with that trauma, right? Of seeing your mother, you know, go through this addiction, and not and you don't necessarily have a childhood, right? Because you're always in work mode. You have to care for yourself, make sure you don't get hurt at school, and then make your way home and make sure your mom doesn't get hurt in the street, right? And so for me, you know, that their relationship, Sharon. Chiron and uh, Paula's relationship, it was more so Chiron, you know, picking up like all the pieces once he made it home. He had to basically, you know, prepare food, um, you know, uh, run his bath water, and, you know, keep the water on the stove literally and like take it to the bathtub so he can have hot water to, to like take the bath in. Right? And so their relationship, I think, was, you know, Chiron is the parent in that. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I feel like as I watched it, um, I feel like if there was any fleeting moment of joy or happiness, 
it was so fleeting that we didn't see it because the only moments of some semblance of joy that Chiron was getting was when he was playing, you know, kick the ball with his friends a little bit, the times he was talking with Kevin, and then when he was going swimming uh, in the water with Juan. So the majority of what he was experiencing was fairly joyless. And so he didn't really get a chance to, you know, do something worthwhile to have you know uh, uh you know the fun and the understanding and the love and the in in the in the uh surprise and adventure that children should have and so because he doesn't have that then it, it, it kind of sets him up to eventually become who he became um and the situation with his mom despite the fact that that was you know his his mother by blood he really uh you know took a liking and 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 was taken in by Teresa and Juan and that's kind of where he was able to kind of feel like a kid he was able to have a meal he was able to sleep at night he was able to feel kind of safe protected knowing that somebody you know was thinking about him um and when it came down to his 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 his, uh blood mother uh feeling jealous and feeling um anger that he was getting the love that he quite frankly deserves, but because there were things that were happening uh, to him, like he was getting money and resources and she wasn't getting them. And she felt like she was owed that because, you know, that was his parent. So it just kind of like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough circumstance that I can't fully relate to, but I just know it's, it, it has to be just, really really heartbreaking for a child of that age to have to experience and then be expected to be a functioning teenager and then an adult so it's mm-hmm. like a lot of work ahead to just kind of hopefully unlearn as you become older mm-hmm. yeah um as i kind of continue watching this film i think one of the things that kind of stood out to me and was actually a little surprising was kind of like the whole absence of religion you know in a lot of um well in black culture religion is still pretty important and I kind of found it surprising that it never came up in the film at all were you guys just as surprised by that or does that seem like now that's becoming more of a norm and religion has less importance in the development of a person's sexuality as maybe just, well, let's say spiritual environment versus um, your social environment your or community environment. You guys have any thoughts on that? No? <laughs> I mean, I have thoughts, but I, I, wanted, I wanted Ricardo to go first. <laughs> <laughs> Ricardo, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, of course. Go ahead. Go ahead. Take it <laughs> okay. okay. Um, well, I'm gonna come off as a little bit biased because I'm not religious and thankfully have not been kind of uh entrenched in that whole experience. But what I can you tell you as somebody <laughs> <laughs> but as somebody who has experienced uh uh, uh the conundrum of uh, uh it, the relationship of religion and sexuality through other people peripherally, because I have a lot of experience with that, if you can read between the lines, is that uh, honestly, I, as I watched the film, I, I didn't, I didn't even notice because, because it's not a factor in my life, but it also kind of 
I get how people obviously, you know, use religion as a sense of structure and a sense of uh, a mm -hmm. base of for morality and how it kind of seemed like nobody there, but I guess I would say with the exception of Teresa and then some, some other, you know, kind folks, nobody really had any morality. People was just living. Um, <laughs> and I guess, and there's nothing wrong with that, I suppose, right. but I think without there still would be some sort of like central unifying uh, force that kind of brings communities together and makes them prosper for most places that tends to be a church for better and for worse. But I don't know. I've never so been you weren't surprised by it. So you weren't I guess surprised. Not. This is not what you expected. Okay. I didn't even honestly it didn't, I didn't think about it until you just said it. I was like, you know, there really wasn't a church thing in there, huh? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I agree. Like, they didn't, you know, they didn't visit a church. I mean, I think I saw a cross on the wall in their apartment, but for like about five seconds. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, for me, as a black gay man, like my relationship with, you know, church, 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 um, you know, it, it, it's like, it, it has a long, it's not a long history, but because I haven't been to a church <laughs> in such a long time, because growing up in the South, it's, you know, gay men seen and not seen. And so for me, like, uh, because Barry didn't, Barry Jenkins didn't, you know, I guess put in a church scene or, you know, a prayer scene, it didn't really phase me because I, for one, from my experience, you know, I was like, and now I'm thinking about it because you brought it up, probably I would have to say that I wasn't even I'm sorry, for, what did you say? I said I wasn't looking for Cyberone to go to church or anything of that sort because what could the church, I guess, give him and, um, and Paula at that point in their lives? Because there was no, I guess, um, I guess there was no like, no joy or no like, uh, in your word, structure to like fall back on religion to help them out of their situation or to let them see the light. Like I, and the, and the, and the light being like, you know, come out of addiction. Um, you know, but the end was where I think Paula really received some, you know, quote unquote structure with her rehab um, visit or time with, because that's the moment where she found who she wanted, who she needed to be, so she could feel herself, so she could pour into Chagon. Although he was an adult at this at this point, right? We both see them cry at the end. Like we don't see them cry throughout the film, right? Um, Except Sharon saying to Kevin, "Oh yeah, I I cry all the time. I want to be. I can even, I'm paraphrasing, turn into a ball of water, or something, you know, a droplet or something." But it wasn't until the end that we see them cry, that we see them be fully vulnerable with each other. Um, so to come back to the to the church, I didn't I didn't really expect there to be a church scene because of like looking back um, in retrospect, I don't know where where it would where the film would take a turn for the good. Mm -hmm. That's just my experience. That's just my experience with the church. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, yeah, so, you know, we only got a couple more minutes left, but, you know, I, one of the things I want to kind of look at is like the end of the movie. I think that, you know, in terms of the movie itself, there was a lot of ugliness in what happened to Chiron in the beginning, you know? I mean, the, the, it seems like the best things that they highlighted out of it was his relationship with Juan, his relationship with Teresa, um, his friendship with Kevin, and then the ending, you know, where it's like he was finally starting to seemingly come to terms with who he was. And, you know, it's like, that end, I, I kind of felt so much emotion for him. It was like, almost like there was a release for him. And it, it was a, that was one of the most beautiful moments in the whole film for me. What do you guys think? Well, I'm, I'm greedy because I saw the end and just like, dang it, I wanted to see what happened. But I think <laughs> it could be left up to interpretation about what happened or what didn't happen. I think that, and it was emotional for me because I'm like, Sometimes people get that realization sooner than later. Some people get it later than sooner. And some people just don't get it at all. So the fact that they were able to kind of congregate and really have that moment when so many people just, they don't get to have that. And so I'm really glad that they were able to, you know, really understand that and really kind of have that intimate moment with one another as adults who've been through some stuff and now can kind of come together and, 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 and fall back a little bit on that familiarity of, okay, this was something that may have happened when we were uh, younger, but now that maybe we have a little bit of a better understanding, maybe this is something that we could explore if there was any exploration to, uh, to happen. But it was just, it was a very poignant moment and I loved it a lot. Yeah, me too. Yeah, like, with the, like it was a beautiful moment for black men come together and like rekindle a relationship you know i'm sorry so ricardo I, I can barely hear you uh, oh do you hear me now? it's a little bit better <laughs> okay i said i said it was a beautiful moment for me as well to see these two um two black men rekindle their relationship and to and to reflect on what they what their childhood was and like you know, reflect on that, and then just move forward in a in a in a beautiful and like a a peaceful way. Okay, so the last thing we're going to ask each of you guys to do is to have a one moment, and your one moment would be to share something or to say something supportive to a young black male who's trying to figure out who he is in terms of his sexuality. What would you say? What would you say to him? Um, what I would say is it's okay if it doesn't come to you right now, but I hope that you are allowing yourself to have the space, the grace and the time to really come into yourself and understand that this is not the end all be all because once you break free of those shackles, once you really shed those expectations and fully come into yourself, you won't know nothing different and you will love yourself forever for having done it. That's awesome. I would say 
I would say that's uh, that's an amazing, amazing advice. Um, I would say that surround yourself by people who support you, generally support you, and are there for you. And those people may turn into um, your chosen family. And if you are in a situation where your bio family is, you know, very supportive, that's amazing. Lean on them. But there are also people out in this world who are very supportive as well and open and, and have open arms to be a part of your your village throughout this journey, throughout your throughout your life. And they're called the, your chosen family. So, you know, you may not see them right away, but they're out there. Um, and whenever you have that network in that village, they'll be there to support you without doubt. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so very much for your time. I appreciate your thoughts, your comments, and definitely your participation in this film discussion. I mean, to me, again, this is a very important film, you know, just, just because it, it really illustrates and highlights, you know, one, where we should be as a society, accepting people for who they are, but two, the desperate need we have to show the support and love to young gay black males, young ladies, um, we need to be there for each other. And I think we, we all could do a little bit better of a job and being that support, you know, or showing support or helping people find that support. So um, again, thank you guys so much for your thoughts, your comments and um, that's all I've got to offer, <laughs> or all I got to say. So thank you again. <laughs> thank you. Just hearing yep. guys' stories, um, remarkable. Just like as so, I'm bisexual, um, and I actually came out not even two years ago. Um, I grew up evangelical Christian, so there was a lot of um, discovering later on, uh, but just it's super important to lift each other up. Super important. And I appreciate you guys for coming on here and sharing and um, being vulnerable because it takes a lot of courage to do that. So I want to thank you guys for being a part of that and sharing. Um, and I'll, I'll let everyone know. So everyone listening, uh, you guys can actually thank you. I just want to first thank everyone uh, for your support for our voices and our representation in cinema podcasts. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at www.ourvoicesproject.com for more information about what we do. Sign up for our new newsletters. You'll get notifications from our newsletters about the podcast episodes and new projects. So check out our newsletter, sign up. Uh, you can find it at our Voices Project website. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, actually sugar in August, uh, August 18th. We're having a screening and we're going to be host hosting it at the Little Theater. So please join us. Uh, we also will be recording it um, too. So if you miss that, you'll you'll be able to hear it. So thank you guys so much. This has been this is Deborah, um, cinematographer editor editor for our voices, and thank you so much again for watching and listening. Mm -hmm.